Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. Choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends wisely. I learned that lesson at a very young age. I I was in kindergarten, and uh, I was a pretty cool kindergartner. I bet you can look at me and imagine how cool I was in kindergarten. But I had the coolest magnifying glass. It was a little magnifying glass, and it had a, what was so cool about it, it didn't just have like a handle, like a boring handle, no. It had this cool little case, and it would slide in and out of it. And I thought it was so cool that I did what a five-year-old does when you think something is so cool. You bring it to show and tell. At kindergarten. So I brought the coolest magnifying glass a five-year-old could have to show and tell. And I got there that morning, and you know, it's so exciting. It's so cool that I wanted to show my friend Gerald. And I, I showed my friend Gerald the coolest magnifying glass a five-year-old could own. And then I stashed it away in my cubby because, of course, show and tell can't be first thing when you're really excited about it. It's got to be at the end of the day. So I stashed it in my cubby where I would come back to retrieve it later in the day. So you can imagine... To my dismay, after nap time, which by the way, isn't that the coolest part of kindergarten that you don't appreciate when you're in kindergarten? Don't you long for the days of nap time in kindergarten? Maybe just me, okay. Uh, but, But the lights come back on after nap time. We're preparing, we're coming to the rug for show and tell. And I look over and my friend Gerald suddenly has his own coolest magnifying glass that a five-year-old could have. What, what is this, to my dismay, I thought? He has the same one as me, and I go to look around in my cubby, and I realize, no, 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 my friend, Gerald has stolen my magnifying glass. And he thinks it's so cool. He's showing everyone as if it is his own. And I remember, to this day, I could get a little emotional, a little choked up, thinking about uh, my magnifying glass in the hands of someone who I thought was my friend. Choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends wisely. That's the wisdom of James chapter 4 today. We are in a deep dive into James. We've arrived today at James chapter 4. So I'm going to invite you uh, to stand with me. We're going to read three verses today of James 4, starting with verse 4. 4 4. That's where we're at today. James 4, verse 4. So if you're able to stand with me today, the words will be on the screen behind me. But I I love it when we open up the word together. If you have a, a, a copy of scripture in front of you, also, the YouVersion Bible app is a great resource. We set up an event there. It's live right now. You can open it up and follow along on there as well. But this is the word of the Lord for us today. James begins in verse 4. Uh, you adulterous people. Ouch. <laughs> that's an intro, isn't it? That's, that's painful. That's hard. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, because of that, James says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? 
That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. It's not our word today. (laughs) It's not our truth. It's your truth. So today, open our eyes and open our ears and show us the places in our life where we need to apply this truth. We don't want to live our lives according to our way and our thoughts and our... No, 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 God, we invite you to come and lead and guide us and direct us in these days. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, As you sit, turn to your neighbor and say, choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends wisely. Have a seat, have a seat. Choose your friends wisely wisely. A couple parents in the room really got joy out of telling their child that, you know. Listen, he said it, choose your friends wisely. We begin today with an analogy, right? An analogy, uh, a harsh one maybe. Uh, Again, James is writing, and who's he writing to? First century believers. These are words written to believers. These are not written to pagans. These are not written to those who would claim to have no knowledge, no relationship with Christ. No, this is written to the church, The people that would say, I believe in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, except these believers are being persecuted. They're experiencing hard, but because they've they've had the audacity, the faith to proclaim, hey, Jesus is Lord. And because of that, life's hard. They're being persecuted. They're being threatened. They're being removed from their homes. They're being exiled from their communities. And while they're being scattered throughout, James wants them to remain faithful to God. Can we just be honest? When moments of hardship and seasons of suffering, that can be tested, can it? It's one thing to be faithful to God, to be rooted in him when things are going really well. But but when things are hard, that's more challenging, isn't it? And the truth is, some of the people reading these words that James writes were martyred because they love Jesus. Think about that. It's challenging. But James, he's using a powerful analogy to get their attention. In the midst of doubt, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of fear, fear that we would say is justified. Look, their lives are being threatened, right? James uses a powerful analogy, and I'll put it here on the screen as we begin to look at this passage in chapter 4. He begins with this, you adulterous people. It's not really like a a term of endearment, is it? (laughs) I open up a letter to you adulterous people. Whoa, whoa, okay, right? This doesn't sound like words written in love, are they? But but James, he he wants to shake them a little bit. He wants to grab their attention. And what does he say? goes on, you adulterous people, the next part, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity, hostility, hatred toward God? The word friendship here is really important. So we do this week after week. We, we, we look at kind of the Greek because these words that we're reading were originally written in Greek. And we want to just sometimes understand what, what, what that word, what these words originally meant in the language in which they were written. And that word friendship in Greek, it's actually translated love. But you'll know this if you're familiar with the New Testament scriptures. There's several words for love in Greek. There's kind of the romantic love, but, but this is not that. This is the love of friends. It's the root word where uh, the city, Philadelphia, it's phileo. It's that word love, but it's, it, it correctly is translated often friendship. But friendship in James' time meant something very different. It meant very different than the 700 friends you have on Facebook or whatever it is. Good for you. I'm excited for you. But that's, that's not this idea of friendship. Friendship to James, it meant something more of, of like a lifelong pact. 
shared values, shared loyalty between two individuals. So, so this is the analogy James is setting up here for us. He's saying you cheat... You cheat when you become friends with the world. You are unfaithful. When we have these sort of shared values, right, that culminate in a friendship, we cheat. We commit adultery is what James is saying. That's harsh. But this is the wake-up call that he wants these believers, these that claim to be in Christ. He wants them to hear. Therefore, it goes on, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend, again, there's that word, and it's, it's not this kind of cursory way. No, 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 this is the shared values, the shared loyalty. Anyone who chooses to be a friend like that of the world becomes an enemy of God. In verse 5, do you think the scriptures say without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he caused to dwell in us? There's an incredibly important biblical truth right here in James 4. The closer that we move towards the world, the further that we move away from God. Think about that for a minute. That may seem simple, but, but this is profound, and this really does impact how we live, and it really does impact uh, the way that we understand God's truth. The closer that we move towards the world, the further that we move away from God. One tears us from the other. And there's a spiritual reason for this. That's what James wants us to know. We were created in the image of God. You and I were created much differently than anything else. And look, there's a lot of cool creation around us, right? Like look around and in every season we see the beauty of creation. But there's something different about you. There's something different about me. That, that literally God breathed his breath into us. And the word says that we were made in his image. That we reflect, you and I, the image of God. God. And because of that, because of that, we were created to bear his image. That matters. That matters. And because of that, James says, you, you, can't, you can't bear his image, be created in his image, and yet move towards the things of this world. One separates from the other. So I want to stop here. We're going we're gonna to finish the passage in a minute and get to verse 6. But I want to stop and ask two really important questions. That if I were reading this for the first time or the 50th time, I think these questions help us understand what this text means. Maybe you're already asking these questions, but if not, I think they're important questions for us to ask. Uh, question number one is this. What does it mean to be a friend of the world? There's some language here, some terminology that James is using, and I don't take for granted that we understand what that really means. What does it mean to be a friend of the world? And then question number two, in response to that, what do we do? What, if we are a friend of the world, if we're trending that way, if, if we can't be a friend of God and a friend of the world, and we feel like we're, we're moving in that direction, what do we do in response? So those are the questions I want to spend a few minutes uh, diving into. First, what does it mean to be a friend of the world? I think that's a critical question in this passage. If James says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God, and I'm here today and I say, I don't want to be an enemy of God. Are you kidding me? The God of the universe, all-powerful God, I don't want to be his enemy. So it kind of begs the question, well, what does that mean then? How, how do I know? A am I a friend of the world? Did that happen overnight? I woke up today and I didn't. So uh, that's a critically important question. So first, let's start with what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean to be a friend of the world. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be friends with non-believers. If you claim faith in Christ, 
It doesn't mean that you, that you push pe- anybody that doesn't agree with you and your faith and you push them away. You can't associate with those kind of people. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that we lock ourselves at home, never venturing out for fear of fraternizing with the world around us. That's not what it means. And how do we know that? Because Jesus called us to be light, right? He, Jesus himself modeled a life of relationships with people that did not yet know Christ. It's true. Look at the life and ministry of Jesus. He didn't just sequester. He had 12 disciples. He, he had brothers and sisters in Christ, but he also spent time with people that others would not want to associate with, people that maybe did not yet know Christ, not, did not yet know the love of the Father. So Jesus modeled that so we can read James's words and understand this doesn't mean that we live our lives secluded from those who do not yet know Christ. That would be an incorrect interpretation of James 4. So, so what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, it does mean that we, we begin by carefully inspecting our hearts. And, and the word I want to point out here is our loyalty. Loyalty. You've already heard the Greek in James 4. That idea of friendship is really about this loyalty, the shared value. So, so to ask this question, what does it mean to be a friend of the world, is really a question of loyalty. But loyalty to what specifically? Well, the short answer is the things of the world, but a friend of the world is ultimately loyal to the things of the world. They are the priority. They are the focus. They are the foundation upon which your life is built. When I think of loyalty, I think of a, a, a kind of a present day example, an example going on around us. I, I, I like football. I watch football. And, and even when my team's not in it anymore, I just enjoy watching, you know, the playoffs, a competitive game. But something that stands out to me as I watched football this past weekend, there were some cold games. Specifically, you know, I, I'm watching these fans in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And if you live in Green Bay, Wisconsin in January, God bless you because it is freezing all right and so here are these people and it's sub-zero outside and they're there they're so covered you can like see their eyes and that's it but they're here voluntarily they paid money to come sit outside in sub-zero weather why would you do that they want to cheer on their team they've got loyalty to what to their team I've got loyalty to staying warm at home where it's comfortable but they've got loyalty to be there and they're losing their minds right they're cheering and they're screaming they can't feel their feet they can't feel their extremities but they're losing their mind why because they have a loyalty to their team and that loyalty it shows up doesn't it it shows up in, in how they act why else why else would you come out for five hours in sub-zero wind chill, well, it's because you're, you're loyal. You're loyal to your team. And I believe James is asking us this morning to inspect our loyalty, not to a football team, right? But to loyalty to the things of this world. There's actually something deeper here, though. And if you'll, if you'll hang with me for just a minute, I think it will gain some clarity again on what does it mean? What does it mean to be a friend of the world? To get to the root of what James is talking about. Because, see, just as God... Just as he has desires for us to love him and follow him, there's an enemy. There's an enemy of God and an enemy of you. And we know that because the Bible calls him Satan. And the word that's often used throughout scripture is deceiver. And that's a super appropriate word for who he is and what he does because his mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to deceive 
you. And the root of sin, the root of sin, we know this, if we look all the way back into Genesis at the very beginning, we won't do that today, but you can, and you look all the way back at the root of sin, the root was this deceiver in the form of a serpent showing up to Adam and Eve there in the garden, and the deceiver began his work. And it it looks something like this. He, He caused Adam and Eve to question, to doubt. What did they question? To doubt the Lord, to, to doubt his goodness, to doubt his lordship, that, that God is not really in control. He's not really Lord and powerful. No, 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 you, you, can't, you can't trust him. You can't be loyal to him. Ultimately, the first sin in the Garden of Eden was about choosing self first. That's really, look, look at what the deceiver says way back in the garden. He says, God doesn't want you to be like him. Well, it's appealing to this desire for self above all. I can't trust God. I can't believe what God has said. No, no, I, I, instead, I, I, I got to be in control, right? What did the deceiver say? God doesn't want you to be happy. God doesn't want you to be happy. God cannot be trusted. That's ultimately the lie, that first lie in the garden. The root of sin began when the serpent, the deceiver, showed up and led Adam and Eve to believe that lie, that God cannot be trusted. These are the lies that surrounded the first sin in the garden, but let's be honest, they're the same lies we believe today, right? Some of us today, the greatest temptation we face in the circumstances and the frustration and the disruption of our lives, the greatest lie that the enemy whispers into your ear is that God cannot be trusted. You can't trust him. You can't trust him. Ultimately, what is sin? Sin is a desire for self over God's best, over God's design. I, I grew up, and I grew up in the church, and I, and I love that, and I, I don't regret any of that. But I grew up, and ultimately, for me, if you would have asked, what is sin? I would have said, well, it's do this, and don't do this, and don't do this, and don't do this. And look, biblically, we can understand there are clearly some things in the Word of God that we should not do. <laughs> And that's important and that's good. We should lean into that. But if we make sin just about this list of don'ts and, and let's put them on the wall and let's avoid those things, then we, we ultimately make it about behavior modification. And that's not really what sin is about. You, you know what sin really is? It's about our hearts. More than an act or a series of acts and don't do that, you shouldn't do that, you did that, I think that was sin. Uh, No, no, no. It's really, the root of it is about our hearts. And the root of sin is as much, it's the same root that we find in James 4. As we discussed last week, this desire to serve self. This desire to please self above all. It's not wrong to want to be happy. It's not wrong to do some things for yourself. That's good. But when that becomes the most important desire, when that becomes the desire that you do that no matter the consequence, no matter the impact on anyone else, the desire for self above all, the desire for self to be in control at all times. God can't be trusted. I've got to be in control. That is the root of sin. And it began in the garden and it has never stopped through human history. The enemy of your soul and my soul has constantly deceived people like you and me to choose self 
every single time. Do what feels good, no matter the consequence. Do what you want. You deserve this. You don't need God. You are in control. That's what the deceiver says to you and me. And what's the consequence of living life like that? Look around you, right? You don't have to look far. Even in your own life, you can see painful consequences, right? When you begin to let self be most important when you begin to be loyal to self above all. Now, now, imagine God, right? He, he loved us and created us to be in relationship with us. He breathed his breath into us. We are formed in his image. And imagine, instead of choosing to be in relationship with him, we turn our backs and say, yeah, I got this. It's, I'm calling the shots now. Hey, thanks for creating me and Man, you made the sunrise today. Hey, thanks for that. Appreciate that. Uh, but I'm good. I got this. I trust me more than I trust you, God. Is there any, any other way to describe that but, but disloyal? And then this God who loves us so much, who loves you and me so much, he sent his son. Because of this sin that entered into the world, because of that brokenness that we couldn't fix on our own, he sends his son into the world to be the sacrifice for all sin. All sin. Because of our sin, because we can't overcome it, he made a way through his son Jesus that if we would trust in him, we can be forgiven for sin. We can overcome even this desire, this bent towards self, this bent towards sin. We can live in freedom and redemption and deliverance. But imagine a God who does that, who does all of that for you and me, and yet still we won't believe. Still, we say, nah, God, I got it. I'm good. Man, what do you call someone who does that? James 4.4, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You can't be a little of both, can you? You're either all one or all the other. And in case you think James is being too harsh, consider the words of his brother, James his brother is Jesus, and so when we read James, we're often reading Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, this is what Jesus says. Jesus said, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me, this is Jesus speaking, whoever disowns me, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Just as James calls adulterous people who choose to be friends with the world over God, uh, Jesus is clear about the choices that are to be made. He doesn't apologize for God's demands of exclusivity on us. So what does it mean? That's the question we're asking. Right? What does it mean to be a friend of the world? It means your loyalty is divided. James uses that terminology. If you've been here throughout the study, time and time again, he speaks of that divided loyalty. And that's the message. That's the language here. To be a friend of the world, it means that your loyalty is divided. And in God's kingdom, either your heart is for him or it's not. Either he has your whole heart or he doesn't. Man, there's been seasons of my life where I've felt distant from God. Where I've, I've had the voice of the deceiver in my ear. For me, it's almost always connected to a circumstance. 
a season of pain, a season of disappointment. Uh, I've, I've referenced many times uh, my mom's battle with mental health throughout my teenage years and just how that was a, a poignant point in my life where I was forming my faith as a teenager, but yet I was experiencing circumstances that caused me to doubt, that caused me to wrestle with truth, that caused me to throw my hands up and say, God, where are you? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now, today, where we're just like Adam and Eve. The deceiver is in your ear and he's saying, look around. God can't be trusted. Look at what's going on. You, you can't trust him. He said he loved you, but now look, look at what's happening to you. In that season, in the doubts and wrestling of my teenage years, and, and let, let me be clear, there have been other seasons, there have been other moments where that temptation is real, that temptation to trust in self more than God. But as I, I pinpoint those moments of my teenage years, I see now that God sent specific people into my life to speak truth that were louder than the lies, right? To help me wrestle with the doubts I had, but to hear in the midst of those doubts, the gentle voice of God encouraging me, loving me. These people helped ground me. Now I look back and I see how easily I could have started to drift. That the voice of the deceiver, just one doubt at a time causing me to drift and how easily my loyalty could have been divided at a foundational point in my life. But God used these people to be the voice of the Lord in my life and to show me as I peel back the layers of my disappointment and my heartache, I began to see that God was there in the storm. In the storm, he was still there. He was still present that I was never alone. And I say that to you today because it brings us back to James 4. The question, what does it mean to be a friend of the world? It means that, that ultimately in the doubting and in the wrestling, and, and that's, that's what the believers in Christ were experiencing, right? The audience that James was writing to, they were right there. They were feeling all of that, but in the doubts and in the fears and in the questioning, do not let your loyalty be divided. Do not allow yourself to choose self over God. Don't allow yourself to, to be convinced for a minute that really self is Lord, not Jesus. And James is pleading with them, employing with them. So the second question, what do you do? What do you do if you're in that season? And the temptation to be loyal to self is strong. The temptation to doubt that God can be trusted is real in your life. What, what do you do? Maybe these are convicting words for you. And, the temptation is to hang your head in shame or, or to feel, yeah, guilty as charged. I've, I've been disloyal. I've been adulterous. Oof, that hurts. What do you do with that? How do I respond? Well, the good news is that James offers hope for us in the midst of really hard words. It's right there in chapter 4. And if you still have your copy of Scripture open, go back there because it's worth it. It's worth it to hear these words in the midst of all these heavy, hard painful truths that we've had to, and again, studying James is not a walk in the park, right? It's experiencing and looking in to God's word, even when it's hard. And that's what these verses in chapter four feel like. But, but see the hope that shows up in verse six. After these hard words that James speaks, what does he say in verse six? But he gives us more grace. If you showed up today and you need hope, if you showed up today and you feel battered and bruised and worn out, you feel like everybody else in the room isn't struggling but you, you got to hear these words because they're words for you today. He gives us more grace. 
What is grace? Grace is unearned favor. It's not something you deserve. And not just grace, but James says he gives us more grace. To the one today who has been repeatedly disloyal to God, to the one today who has been repeatedly loyal to self overall, guess what? He gives you more grace. To the one today who's battling, wrestling with sin, guess what? Today, he gives us more grace. To the one who's afraid to give up control, you'd like to be in control. And the thought of allowing him to be Lord, him to lead, that terrifies you. Guess what? Today, he gives us more grace. To the one who has made so many mistakes, he gives more grace. More grace to you, to you to you, to you, to you, to you. He gives more grace. And the message of grace comes with a powerful reminder. The beautiful thing about James is James was a Jew and he understood the Old Testament scriptures and he points back to them and he does it here because what he does is points back to Proverbs chapter three. What does he say? He gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, and he's quoting Proverbs three, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. This grace from God is offered to those who are willing to humble themselves. That's not just a throwaway line. That's not just James saying, well, let me throw in some Proverbs here. Which one could I do? Okay, I'll pick this one. No, no, no. This is a powerful truth. Powerful truth. Don't miss the connection. If friendship with the world is loyalty to self more than anything else, worshiping self, seeking to please self, then perhaps the closer we are to true humility the further we are from the world. I'm going to say that again because this might, this might be the key for some of us today. If loyalty to the things of this world is ultimately loyal to self above all, then perhaps the closer we get to true humility, the further we are from the world. Perhaps this grace that we desperately need is available to all who would humble themselves. Humble themselves. In humility, I realize I, I'm not Lord. He's Lord. In humility, I recognize and realize I, I don't understand everything that's happening around me. He does. In humility, I recognize I don't have all the answers, but I believe he can and he will. Humbling myself. Humbling myself. I began with this powerful truth, and I want to end with it today. The truth is choose your friends wisely, church. That's what James is imploring the early believers. Choose your friends wisely to examine your loyalty. And today, today as you examine your loyalty, how quickly you can drift towards a divided loyalty, a loyalty to self more than anything else. And that loyalty to self leads to destruction and heartache and pain. Instead, humbling yourself enough, humbling yourself enough to acknowledge that you were created by a God who loves you, who knit you together, who breathed his spirit in you, and he has a plan for you that's greater. It's greater than the circumstances and the obstacles you're facing. It's greater than any doubt or fear. It's, it's, it's greater than any test that you're experiencing in this moment. And if you would just humble yourselves enough, to distance yourself from that desire for self above all. If you would just humble yourself, you would see. God is right there, and he's for you.
See, choose your friends wisely because we've talked about today how dangerous it is when we become friends with the world, when we pledge that allegiance to that selfish, destructive, sinful nature. We've talked about that, but now I want to close and I want you to think about the truth that the God of the universe wants to call you friend. Now, you maybe have had some good friends in your life, but you've never had a friend like that. You might have a best friend, and they're good. I mean, they give good gifts, and they, they, they show up when you need them. They know you, and I, I love that. But I promise you, you've never had a friend like this. Think about it. The God of the universe calls me friend. What does that mean? Well, a friend is loved, right? No matter what, when it's messy, A friend is valuable, is valued for who they are, not just for what they do, not because of what they can give you, but just for who they are. That's a friend. A friend is cared for. A friend shares a connection. The God of the universe says that of you. You're my friend. You share a connection and intimacy with the God who made the sunrise. He'll cause it to set. He knows the hairs on your head. He's got your heart beating today and your lungs breathing. That God calls you friend. There's a bond, right? There's a commitment there. Yeah, yeah, your commitment to him, but his commitment to you. There's a responsibility and ownership for one another. The God of the universe wants to call you friend. And I got to tell you, that changes everything. Because there's, there's never a moment that you'll walk alone. There's never a moment you have to be afraid. There's never a moment where you have to give in to that fear that God can't be, because he's right there. He's closer, closer than a friend, no matter what lies ahead, no matter what you're facing today or tomorrow. The God of the universe wants to call you friend. So church family, choose your friends wisely. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, We hear your voice. We sense your spirit today speaking to our hearts. We sense the challenge of the word and and we can choose today whether to to push back, to say, ah, that's too harsh, that's too radical. Or in faith, open up our hearts and respond. Inspect our loyalty, a loyalty that, that, that cannot be divided. Lord, you you desire to be a friend that will lead us through the valley, through the storm, through the fire. No matter what we're facing, you, you want to be a friend like that to us. So today we choose to hear your voice and to respond. We choose to, to reject, to repent from a desire to please self above all. We choose to repent of that selfish, sinful nature in us that rears its ugly head and so often the deceiver who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. We, we turn from that today and we say, I choose a loyalty to you, Jesus as Lord, God as my father and my friend. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. 
When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.